You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, uh, my name is Josh, and I get the awesome opportunity to be able to open up uh, the Bible today, and we're going to be looking in the book of Exodus. Uh, a couple of years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to go hunting out in eastern Oregon. Uh, I don't get to hunt a whole lot, uh, but I love the opportunity to do it. And uh, so a buddy of mine, who's also a pastor, had a ranch out in eastern Oregon, just outside of Prairie City. And he told me if I was ever to get out to that area, um, I was more than welcome to come and hunt on his ranch because he sees lots of deer there all the time. So I was like, heck yeah, that sounds awesome. I also wanted to introduce Madison to hunting. She was at that age where it'd be fun for her to come along, and I didn't want to drag her out into the woods in the middle of nowhere. So this, I thought, would be a nice, easy way, a smooth journey of introducing Madison to hunting. It wasn't. No, she's shaking her head. Um, so my, my friend said there's one caveat, very, very important rule that you need to follow if you're going to hunt on my property. He said, when you get there, you can go through the first gate and you can start, you can hunt on any of that property. He's like, but do not go over or through any other fences that you come to. He says, because in Eastern Oregon during hunting season, the hunters are, the the ranchers are very wary of people, of hunters poaching on their wide open farmland. He was like, and if you cross onto somebody else's land, you will be shot at, as a matter of fact. And I was like, I got it. Get to the ranch, cross over one fence, don't cross over any other fences, and we'll be fine. So we get to the, we get to the ranch, I get out of the, the car and, uh, and cross over the first fence, and uh, basically the property is this kind of giant grassy mound um, with just you know farmland all around it. It's beautiful central Oregon. So we work our way around to the side of this hill, and we see a group of deer. And so we squat down. We're kind of watching the deer. I don't see any bucks. You know, a lot of times they'll hang out nearby, you know, if you've ever been hunting, but not right there with the does. And, and so I'm, I'm waiting. I don't see anything. And eventually the deer just kind of like meander off up to the top of the hill. So me and Madison, we work our way around, and we come to the first fence, the first fence line, and it kind of runs up and over this hill. And so we just kind of follow the fence line. And I, and I think, let's get up to the top of that hill, because then we'll have a really good perspective of, uh, of if there's any deer in the area. So we walk all the way up to the top of the hill, and there's this big radio tower, you know, that, that's sitting up there. And then it's just beautiful, wide open uh, ranch land all around us. It's just so scenic and so nice. Um, it's a good place to enjoy the beauty of creation. It's also a great place to look for a deer. So we're standing there when all of a sudden a bullet goes flying by. And you hear the, if you've ever been hunting, the zing, you know, as it, as it flies by. And if, it's, if you can hear it, it's not good typically, you know, like they, they, it's not a good thing. So I wasn't too worried about it because I'm like, you know, we're, it's hunting season. Uh, we're out in this wide open space. I just saw a bunch of deer. I bet somebody's out here hunting. Uh, shortly after, I hear that boom. Again, I'm like, okay, well, that's unusual. And so I tell Madison, I was like, let's just, let's just squat down, you know, just we'll, we'll kind of look around. And so we squat down, and we're just kind of looking. And then the bullets just start coming. 
one after the other, as fast as that guy could fire at us. So me and Madison drop on the ground, and we begin to army crawl around to the back of this radio tower until we have shelter. And then we stand up, and we just run as fast as we can down the back side of this hill to get back to where the ranch was. Now, that was not how I thought Madison's first hunting experience was going to go. And so far, it has been her last hunting experience. Hopefully, I'll build up the nerve again to take her. But I don't know all that was going on there, because I was on the right side of the property line, but I assume some, some rancher thought that I was poaching on their land. They would make sure that I got out of there very quickly. Sometimes when we take these journeys, and when we journey with God, uh, the journey doesn't always work out the way that we think it's going to. You know, we have this typically this nice, smooth path that we're planning, this great experience, and then something unexpected happens. In our story today, Moses is going to faithfully begin this journey with God toward Egypt to liberate the people of Israel. But on the way there, he's going to run into some huge problems. And particularly, he's going to find himself in the hands of God. And his life is going to be in the hands of God because he is choosing not to follow the rules that God has set forth for the journey. So I invite you guys to stand up with me. We're going to read Exodus 4, 18 through 31. I've asked Christy uh, to read for us. If you have your Bible, feel free to open up to Exodus 4. If not, we always put the scripture up here on the screen and you can follow along there. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed 
And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Join me in a a quick prayer. Uh, Father, uh, we uh, once again just want to thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you for the truth that it brings, but we come before you and we honestly say sometimes it's hard to understand. Uh, And so I just pray you'd open up our minds to understand what was happening here in the text in a culture that is so far removed from ours. Um, But we would see what you're doing here and that would uh, in turn allow us to understand more of who you are and what it looks like to journey with you. So we thank you for this. We ask this in your name. Amen. You guys have a seat. So today, uh, we like the Israelites are on a journey with God. Uh, All of us are on a journey with God, believer and unbeliever, if He is creator. Um, But I think sometimes we think that journey, like, ends at salvation. You know, when the moment that we come to faith in Christ, but actually, salvation is just the beginning of the journey with God. It's, It's from that moment that we continue to walk forward with God through the uncertainty of what happens and trusting in Him that I think faith really, really grows and take root. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life this morning. I, I have to assume there's some unexpected turns that you've come to, some, some part of the plan that you thought how things were going to go as to the reality of what's actually happening in your life. But I want to let you know that there is a God who loves you and who is sovereign over all of those things. The best thing that we can do if we believe there is a creator and we are on a journey with him is just to try to submit ourselves to the journey and to the process. And I think as we do that, it's as we journey with God that our faith really grows and we begin to understand who he is. Now, we like the Israelites do not just journey with any God, but we journey with I am. Now, this is the name that God, Yahweh, chose to give himself to the people of Israel. Previously, he had not used this name, but we were introduced to it last week in Chris's message. Now, Yahweh, I am, it comes from a Hebrew verb, haya, which is to be, okay? Interesting name for God to give himself. But God himself explains the significance when he says, I am who I am. In other words, God claims that he is self-defining. He cannot be narrowed down. He's the ground of existence. He is the creator and sustainer of everything. He is immutable in being and character. Therefore, he is not becoming something. He already is something. I am, Yahweh, is an awesome name. And it's the name that God chooses to reveal to his covenant people. Now, in using that name, I think we learn a powerful truth about God. When you journey with Yahweh, you do it on his terms. And that's a hard lesson to learn. I think think it rubs against every bit of our humanity is particularly the independence of our humanity, because we are all about journeying with God. I really believe that. It's why the majority of the people on this planet believe in some type of a higher being. The challenge is when we have to start setting up what that journey looks like and how to journey with God, that our, our humanity starts to creep up and say, I don't like that. I don't want to do it that way. 
I would rather journey this way. Well, Moses is going to learn some hard lessons today as he learns to submit to God in the process. We pick up here in verse 18 through 20 that Christy just read. Uh, Moses, as he begins this journey with God, first he's going to go to his father Jethro, and he's going to ask permission to leave. He says in verse 18, please let, me, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Now, there's some really great things about this statement. It shows that Moses has fully identified himself with the Hebrew people. He doesn't identify himself with Egyptians or Midianites. He is a Hebrew. It also tells us that there's been this period of time here since he's left Egypt of about 40 years, and now he is going back to check on his people. Now, the phrase to see if any of them are still alive, we don't really know exactly what he's getting at. It could have been an ancient expression of checking on somebody's welfare, but it leaves open this question of whether they are dead or whether they are alive. The problem is this with what Moses says. It's not entirely truthful, is it? I mean, what, what about the burning bush? That whole thing was a big deal. I would have probably shared that with my father-in-law. What about the staff that he has in his hand that he, allowed, that he can perform these miraculous signs? Hey, what about this whole thing of liberating all of these people out of bondage of this great work of redemption? He doesn't, he doesn't talk about any of that stuff with Jethro. We don't, you know, we don't know why. We have to read a little bit into the text. Maybe he didn't want to give too many details because he didn't want Jethro to ask too many questions about this journey, this probably really dangerous journey that he's about to take his, Jethro's daughter and these, this son, this grandson. It's a possibility. But you know what I think is going on here? I don't think Moses fully trusts God yet. I really don't. Otherwise, he would have said, hey, Jethro, me and God, we're going to Egypt, and we're about to liberate two million people because that's what God said is about to happen. But he's like, can I just, can I just go check on my people to make sure they're, they're still okay? Can you see the doubt in the text, the doubt in what's going on in Moses' life? Well, what I appreciate about Moses here, man, he's taken the journey, right? He's obediently moving forward, but I think like many people, his obedience and moving forward is a combination of doubt and fear, like Chris talked about last week. I'll move forward, but I'm just, you know, I'm not sure if I can trust this God. You guys ever do that in the journey? You ever say, man, I don't know about that God. I don't know about his ways. I don't know if I can trust him. Well, let's see what happens here in the text. In verses 21 through 23, we have this, well, we know that Jethro gives them the blessing and they go. And then verses 21 through 23, we have another example of God foreshadowing what's about to happen. God and his generosity many times throughout the Bible says, hey, I'm about to do something really amazing. You need to prepare yourself for it. This is coming. And then when we see it in the text, it happens exactly the way God said it would happen. So he tells Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But I'm going to harden his heart. And he's not going to let the people go. And then I'm going to kill his firstborn son. Now, we're going to spend a significant amount of time later in the text, later in Exodus, unpacking the sovereignty of God and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Um, there's just one passage of Scripture where it just plays back and forth between Pharaoh and God. Pharaoh and God, like, who's in control? Is God in control? Is Pharaoh in control? 
Because of that, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time unpacking that in this passage. But I do want to really land on the reason that we have in the text here for why God ultimately will harden Pharaoh's heart. And it's this. It's to prove his love for his children. That's what it says there in verses 22 through 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. See, these, these two verses here ex- expose what is at the very heart of Exodus. They, it explains why God cared so much about the Israelites. Out of all the nations in the world at this time, God had chosen these people to rescue from slavery. It had little to do with their world renown. It had little to do with their spirituality. It had everything to do with God had just chosen them. They were going to be His Son. They were going to be God's choice. See, at the very deepest spiritual level, Exodus is a story about sonship. It's about being the people of God. It's about a a father's love for his son. Israel's story is the story of deliverance. A loving father rescuing his children so that they can be together as a family. Now this is once again a truth in the text that's real subtle, but that we have to stop and talk about. As you journey with God, do you believe that He loves you? Do you believe that I am loves you? It's one thing to follow God out of obligation. Thank you for rescuing me out of slavery. It's another thing to follow God out of gratitude for being a part of the family. And, you know, I don't think that Moses quite grasped that yet. And we know that because of what's going to happen next in the text. And what happens next is a shocking reminder of how weird the Bible is. And why it takes time to understand what's going on. Remember, we are not the original audience. You can't open the Bible with your 21st century mind and say, that doesn't make any sense to me. Because it wasn't written to you or me. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to us. So what happens here? Verse 24. They're journeying. Everything's going good. It says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Okay? So here's what happened. They're on the way to Egypt. They stop to camp for the night. And there in the wilderness, God proceeds to try and kill Moses. It's not good, right? I mean, this guy is going to be the one that's going to deliver everybody out of Egypt. He's going to be the one that's going to talk to Pharaoh. God came to him in this burning bush and said he was going to do this. Why would God possibly do that? And we don't even know what that looks like. The text doesn't say, did, did Moses wrestle with the angel of death? Did God inflict him with some type of a disease? We don't know how it happened, but we do know why. 
And that's the most important part of the text here. Why would God do this if Moses was so important to the plan that he had? Well, depending on the situation, God has a lot of good reasons to end people's lives. But in this case, he was angry with Moses because of his disobedience. The prophet was under the wrath of God because he had chosen not to circumcise his son Gershom. Now, the Bible doesn't say this in too many words, but we can read it here in verses 25 because we know what the result is of how he saved. It says, Then Zipporah, this is Moses' wife, took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, touched Moses' feet with it, and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. That's an, an author's note there in many of your Bibles. It's in parentheses. I love here that once again, it's a woman that comes to the rescue. Just like the midwives, just like Pharaoh's daughter, Zipporah, thinking courageously and decisively, realizes what's going on. She severs her son's foreskin. She circumcises him. She touched Moses' feet. And she says, you are a bridegroom of blood. Now, the precise meaning of those words is uncertain. But we know that it did the trick. And, and the, the simplest explanation is that God attacked Moses because he had failed to circumcise his son. Therefore, Ger- Gershom's circumcision saved Moses' life. Okay? Why? I mean, why, God? Out of all, why this? Why, why is it here in the story? And this is why. This is why we really have to understand the text. This is the question you should be asking yourself. Why did this happen? What is so important about circumcision? I mean, I was fascinated when I was thinking through this. I mean, consider the contrast of what's going on here with what Chris talked about last week. When Moses refused to go to Egypt, God patiently helped him on his way. When When he failed to circumcise his son, God threatened to take his life. Don't you guys think it's interesting that when Moses argues and complains and pouts and holds his breath about going to Egypt, God like patiently deals with him like a child? But then when it comes to circumcision, it is a completely different matter in the eyes of God. Quite literally, it's a matter of life and death. And this is why. Circumcision was the distinguishing mark of God's people. It was a sign of them being a part of God's covenant community. Therefore, it was proof of that sonship that God just talked about. Now, Zipporah seems to understand this. Not only that, circumcision was a covenantal sign that went all the way back to Abraham. And it had been practiced by all of the patriarchs leading up to this moment since Genesis 17. So if Moses was going to serve the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob and the God of Isaac, then he needed to be faithful to the covenant obligation to circumcise his sons. This was also going to prepare him for having to circumcise the entire nation of Israel when they come out of Egypt because there's an entire nation that has not practiced circumcision. We'll get to this 
in Exodus 12. So God wants to make sure that Moses, the prophet, has to be an example to the people of what it means to be in faithful covenant community with Yahweh. What's fascinating to me about this text is that Zipporah knew what to do. Think about that. I mean, she wasn't a Hebrew. So, you know what that means? That means that Moses talked about circumcision to his wife and probably to his kid. That means that that Moses knew about circumcision, but he just refused to do it. I think there's this, this amazing point of application here. For those of you who are leaders of your families, it's one thing to talk about God. It's another thing to know in your head the ways of God. But to demonstrate them for those that you lead, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where faith is truly worked out and evident. Moses learned that lesson the hard way, just as many of us have learned that lesson the hard way as we journey with God. Now, Moses' experience here, it teaches us two really significant things about salvation, not just about obedience to God and following Him. One is that it is so important to receive the covenantal sign that God sets up for His people. In the Old Testament, under the Noetic Covenant that they were under here, Moses hadn't been given the New Covenant yet, the sign was circumcision. That's what it meant to be the people of God, and to not be circumcised meant to not be a part of the people of God. It meant that the wrath of God was not satisfied before you. It means that you couldn't be in a relationship with God. Church, today we continue to have a sign of the covenant. It's called baptism. It is God's chosen picture of what it means to be a part of his family. You come to faith in Christ and you follow in baptism. Paul unpacks this in the book of Colossians in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay, what is it? What is our circumcision? How are we putting off the flesh? How are we being purified? Look at this in verse 12. Having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith and the power of the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Moses' example teaches us to regard baptism as serious as the Jews had to regard circumcision. Now, The difference is the sacrament of baptism does not save you. Nevertheless, every believer should be baptized. And I would strongly encourage you, if you consider yourself a child of God, yet you have not followed in believer's baptism, are you being covenantly obedient to Yahweh? He is no different as powerful a God today as he is in the text, what would it look like to follow in obedience? Secondly, 
what this passage teaches us, what the, the circumcision of Moses the son teaches us, is that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. See, God, he uses this encounter on the road to Egypt to teach Moses the very basic requirement of salvation. Now, I don't believe God had any intention of actually killing Moses here in the text. I think the whole experience was meant to be a test, similar to Abraham and Isaac. But rather than treating Moses with murderous intent, God was just giving him a firsthand picture of salvation. Well, where do I see that in the text? I think we see it there with the circumcision. First, what God did, he showed Moses, the wages of your sin is death. You are under divine wrath. But then God's wrath was turned aside. How? How was it satisfied? How was it, how was it propitiated? By blood. This time the blood of circumcision. Now, you have to notice in the text that blood is mentioned specifically. Moses had to be touched by a blood sacrifice. Now, this whole idea of a sacrifice, a sacrificial system is slowly being developed throughout the story of God. It started in the Garden of Eden with the sacrifice of those animals to clothe Adam and Eve. But it, it's building. You have to remember the Old Testament. It's a meta-narrative. It's one story, and it's building. It's like watching the greatest trilogy of all times. And God is developing this idea of a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system will be developed during Moses' life on the way in the wilderness that they're about to enter into. This is just the, the beginning of it. Moses was saved by God's wrath because of a blood substitute. Now, as strange as this may sound, to our 21st century ears. The truth behind it reveals the true way of salvation. See, every one of us, every human being, Christian or non, we're all sinners and we all stand under God's righteous wrath. God is not a bully with a magnifying glass. He is a perfectly just being. And if you are a perfectly just being, there has to be a perfect sacrifice for any injustice. And I don't know about you guys, but I've committed a lot of injustice in my life. I daily sin against the people that I'm in relationship with. I daily rebel against the ways of God. I do not like the way that He wants us to journey sometimes. I need a sacrifice. I need a blood sacrifice. We all do. That's exactly what Jesus provided. God became man. Because he was fully human, he could die as a sacrifice for all for people. Because he was fully God, he could die as a sacrifice for all people for all time. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice for sin shedding his own blood. By dying in our place, Jesus turned aside the wrath of God against us. He is our substitute. And for us today, it's not about circumcision. 
It's about believing that Jesus died to satisfy the wrath of God, that he was a vicarious sacrifice on the cross. There is no other way to be saved. That is a truth that only God can open our hearts to. And if you believe that today, it's because God has chosen to open your heart to that truth. But if you don't believe that, if you think this story is stupid or crazy, and I'm just making all this up. I would I'd challenge you now in this room to consider, is God opening up your heart to believe? To believe something that, in all honesty, is beyond human belief. What happens next in the story, I think, is a, is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to just faithfully move forward with God. In verses 27 through 31, God is going to call Aaron to come and to meet with Moses. He's going to be that voice for Moses. Moses and Aaron are going to go before the elders of Israel. They're going to perform all of these wonderful signs that God has given him. And just as God had promised Moses at the burning bush, the elders are going to believe. And look what happens in verse 31. Exodus 4 is going to end with a doxology. It says, And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Now, I love that picture because you've got all of Israel, millions of people getting down on their knees in the hot sun in the midst of their slavery, which we know is about to get harder. Nothing has changed for them. They have not been rescued. Their pain has not gone away. Their suffering has not ended. And in the midst of that, they're going to get on their knees and they're going to raise their hands to Yahweh and they're going to worship. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture of what it means to journey with God through the unexpected? In the midst of my suffering, I will continue to worship God. How do do I know I can trust Him? Because of Jesus. Because He demonstrated His love for us. Man, even while they were still waiting for liberation, they gave glory to God. Moved by divine compassion, they knelt. Hmm. See, they understood that the God of Moses is a God who should be worshipped and adored. He's a God who rules all hearts, even Pharaoh's by his sovereign will. He's a God who's a, a good father that loves his children. He's a God who who gives what justice demands, the perfect sacrifice for sin. He's a wonder-working God. He's a a promise-keeping God. But he's also a God that sees our misery. He's a God that knows our suffering. He's a God that's concerned about us. So right now, in the midst of the journey, even before you've been rescued, fully, not knowing what the outcome will be for tomorrow, will you bow down and worship Him? You get that choice today. We all get that choice. But I want to invite you to do it. As the band comes up back up here to lead us in worship, as we prepare to receive communion, we would invite you guys, if you are a child of God, to come and receive communion as a reminder of that sacrifice. 
But as you guys worship, I pray you'll, you'll do it through whatever's going on in your life. That we'll lift our hands high, that we'll get down on our knees, not knowing all of what God is doing in His sovereignty, but we'll say, we trust you. And it's as we journey with God, His faithfulness will be revealed. He will provide. He always does. So let's do that together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these beautiful picture reminders that you give us of your faithfulness. And uh, God, we're like, you know, we're like Moses in the story. We want, we want to walk with you, but we want to do it on our own terms. So I pray that you would just open up our hearts to learn to submit to your ways. And we wouldn't do it begrudgingly, but we'd do it because you're good. We'd do it because your ways are the best ways. We, we've tried to lead ourselves. We've walked our own path. And we've suffered the consequences of it. Would we walk your path? Would you lead us, Father, in your divine love and mercy? We thank you that right now, uh, a sinful people that can lift up our hands and we can worship you. Thank you for the beautiful picture of communion that we have now as we remember the great work that you did to rescue us from slavery. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.